Welcome to the Mystical Animus Podcast. My name is Alan Fuller, and I'm here to share with you what I've learned over the last 30 years as a shamanic practitioner. I'm a lover of all things Earth-centric spirituality, and I am glad you could join me today. So to start off today, let's talk a little bit about what animism actually is. The fact is that animism is really about relationship with um, beings of spirit that are other than human or um, humans who have passed on. Animism is about recognizing that everything has a consciousness. Mm, Trees, spirits, rocks, um, buildings flowers, plants of all kinds. Everything other than ourselves also has a consciousness. That is the point of animism. Animism as a way of life is embracing all of these entities as separate consciousness is. And um, embracing the idea that we are in relationship with all of these things. So it's really kind of about considering animism on a spectrum. Um, If you look down on people from other backgrounds or from from backgrounds of um, a lower socioeconomic status as if they're less than you are because of their economic background... um, And you see nature as primarily a resource to exploit and profit from. Your relationship to nature isn't very animist at that point. Because your relational sphere really doesn't extend beyond living human beings who are also exactly like you. At that stage of the game, you're so very not animist because you're not respectful of any form of life that is not your specific mode of being. Like um, a prime example would be to say that... um, as happens with most evangelical and related Protestant Christians, they don't respect other religions or modes of being in spiritual existence with reality because they believe they are the only way and the only one. And believing that causes them to interact with the world around them as if that were a true statement. And because of their lack of appreciation and respect for other beings other than themselves, they end up with the mentality that everything is a resource to be profited from, often including other humans, as we've seen from history. And so that's not a very animist perspective. 
At the other end of the spectrum, if you appreciate humans of all sorts and varieties and kinds, and you bond deeply with compassion with animals and respect many of the wild kin, and you treat other beings like trees and rocks and animals with respect and that they are worthy of that they are intelligent and worthy of respect then you're much more of an animist but then even further down that end of the spectrum is if you bond with other forms of life and you have conversations with plants animals and other than human beings then you're even more animist yet the point i'm making is that the wider your field of meaningful relationships the more you really fit the description of an animist because the more you you give give respect to other forms of life other than human beings the more you are an animist. And let's just be honest, there are really a ton of types of beings in the realm of spirit for us to have relationship with. There are the human dead. And, you know, the human dead themselves, there's a, a level of there's a, a spectrum, actually, of whether or not they are healed or whole or or completely or elevated or, um, you know, wise, bright ones, as opposed to um, beings who potentially are harmful or toxic. So there's a spectrum there between what is even in in the the realm of the human dead even in what is um what you can bond with and have relationship with and then there are also the the spirits of plants and animals and mountains and rivers and streams and waterfalls and lakes and hills and valleys and all of those uh the spectrum of of spirits other than human in nature whom we can have relationship with. And I'm not talking about just on a mystical level, although that is um, a big part of my practice personally, you know, being in relationship with mystical beings or or, or beings of other planes of existence or um, beings of the other world or spirit beings that um, we can't see with the physical eye. Being in relationship with those beings is part of my personal practice on a regular daily basis. This isn't something that um, I do, you know, once every six weeks during a Sabbath ritual or um, once every so often when I feel the need to connect with something or when I go out into the woods at Beltane to celebrate and um, channel, channel a deity at that point. You know, those my my relationship with the world around me with other than human spirit beings is not a, a reserved um, practice. It's not something I have to work at. I have relationship with everything around me. 
how I work at building and enjoying that relationship is a completely another aspect altogether, and that's when it becomes a spiritual practice. There are also, of course, elemental powers, which I would call the guardians of the directions. Um, you know, there's uh, in typical Wiccan fashion, there's air, fire, water, earth, and spirit. And sometimes there's air, fire, water, earth, above and below, um, or ether and uh, oh, what's the bottom? I forgot what the underworld is. East, west, north, south, zenith above, and nadir below. But I forgot the element of below on a typical Wiccan level. Because I've not practiced Wicca itself in so long. It's, it's a, a very different uh, paradigm for me. Uh, Feycraft is more shamanic than Wiccan. Despite the fact that we do actually use ritual on a regular basis. And then, of course, there are the deities that we can have relationship with. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously you can have relationship with any number of deities from um, any different culture. It really just depends on how you feel about mixing those pantheons together. You know, some people are really hesitant to mix pantheons at all. And others are, you know, uh, all about doing whatever calls out to them or, you know, waiting for specific entities to say something and come to them and and uh, uh, reach out to have a relationship. And many of us actually go out in search of deities to have relationship with. And so, you know, it, it depends on how you want to approach it, but deities themselves are one of the spirit entities that we can have relationship with on some level. And in my personal experience of the last 30 years, deities are not aloof entities that we have to beg and uh, bow down to, but more um, entities who long for a relationship with humanity, possibly because that relationship has been gone for so many, many, many years. You know, but animism is always about being in relationship with this much wider field of beings, but also making sure that that relationship is healthy. Because even as humans, we can have unhealthy relationships, right? Like we can, we can easily get too involved in our friend's relationship drama. Like, how many times does that happen, right? And so we, we, we recognize that even if these entities that we are in relationship with don't necessarily have human-like personalities, it's still possible for us as humans to treat them in ways that are human-like which can become disrespectful. And that brings me to the point that animism and anthropomorphism are actually two different things.
there is a relationship among between animism and anthropomorphism, but they're still two different things. Anthropomorphism is about um, being in relationship with, for example, a magnolia tree, specifically, because, I, you know, I'm, I'll pull this from my own personal experience. You know, it's specifically about being in relationship in, let's say, as an example, a magnolia tree. And the magnolia tree itself is a magnolia tree. It has magnolia tree consciousness. It has magnolia tree uh, personality. It has magnolia tree traits. It has magnolia tree quirks. Like, it has its own personality. It has its own way of being. It has its own culture, so to speak. And when or if I were to assume that the magnolia tree were human-like and acted as a human at some point um, or had a human-like personality, that's anthropomorphism. That's me saying, sure, you're alive, but I need you to be like me rather than being an animist. Whereas where in that frame of mind, as in the mindset of an animist, it would be, yes, you're alive. And I accept that you're not like me, but that we can still have relationship because just because a thing is living doesn't mean it's human like. Just because a tree, you know, takes in oxygen and emits carbon di or, or takes in carbon dioxide and emits oxygen, and so in a sense it breathes, and just because it communicates with other trees around it via the root system through electrical impulse, all of those things don't necessarily mean that the trees act in human ways. Just because it has a consciousness does not mean it is a human-like consciousness. And so that's why it, it, it behooves us to separate animism from animor anthropomorphism. Still in all, I'm not telling you that anthropomorphism is wrong in any way. Or that it makes your spiritual practice or belief system less than because it doesn't. In many cases, anthropomorphism is perfectly fine and acceptable. For example, with the human dead, obviously, the human dead are going to have personalities and quirks and traits just like humans because they're human dead. That's not anthropomorphism. That's just accepting what is. Deities are often going to have the personalities, quirks, and traits of humans because deities are human-like. Most deities are, you know, shaped like humans, have skin colors as like humans, and talk like humans, and have languages and accents and and uh, uh, regional dialect, and um, have quite often acted in ways that an imperfect human would act. And so deities 
having personalities like humans isn't really anthropomorphism because they're already anthropomorphic, if that makes any sense. But saying that, and even with elemental guardians, I guess, in a way, whether you, how, depending on how you perceive them, even with elemental guardians, it's not necessarily that they're anthropomorphic. Because they could be already anthropomorphic, so you're not anthropomorphizing after the fact, if that makes sense. So, but like, you know, just because uh, an animal or a plant or a mountain or a river or a stream or a valley, if just because those things have consciousness doesn't necessarily mean that they're human-like consciousness. And so... I think it's a good idea for us as humans to understand, even in our spiritual practices, just because they have a consciousness doesn't mean they're going to act like us. Because when we accept the idea that they're not necessarily going to act like us, we get to this place where we respect them for who they are as individual beings, rather than accepting them because we still need them to be like us. So for me, that's the difference between animism and anthropomorphism. Neither one of them are wrong. Neither one of them are less than. Um, you can have both animism and anthropomorphism in the same uh, spiritual practice and not mesh them together until they need to be or until they're supposed to be or until they're right to be together. And it doesn't necessarily make either one of them wrong or any practice having to do with either one of them wrong. So that's my take on animism and anthropomorphism. Thank you so much for being with me for this episode of the Mystical Animist Podcast. Please check me out on the web at www.alanfuller.com. That's A-L-A-N-F as in Frank U-L-L-E-R dot com. And be sure to hit me up on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, peace, blessed be, and namaste.